Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. This morning, right now, we pray uh, for Pastor Steve as he gets ready to deliver your word. I pray that you would fill him with your spirit and that you would get him out of the way so that he can deliver that which you have for us to hear this morning. Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe your truth? We pray that in Jesus' mighty name and your church says, amen. Family, can we celebrate Pastor Steve this morning? Good morning, everybody. Um, It is a joy and a delight to be with you. This morning, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 25. Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 25. Um, Thanks to Ramon, and uh, appreciate his encouragement always. It's hard for me to receive, uh, hey, thanks. Hey, celebration. We love you, man. Appreciate that. (laughs) Um, Galatians chapter 3, 15 through 25, when you've got it. Do me a favor and just simply shout, I got it. All right. If you would and you're able, would you rest on your feet for the reading of the scripture together? It reads this way. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, No one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of the transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels uh, by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise uh, by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. The very words of Scripture. Amen. You may be seated. War. What is it good for? Tagline, absolutely nothing. The 1968 Motown song, War, posed this eternal question in response to the Vietnam War. Uh, War was originally recorded by The Temptations, followed by the version that you all probably know that was sang by Edwin Starr. 
It actually reached the number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in 1970. Uh, really, if you think about it, the 50-year-old question still rings relevance to our day and time. War. What is it good for? In a similar way, Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 25 poses this same kind of question, but it's not a question of war, but a question of the law of God. Uh, for three chapters now, Paul has argued that being declared right with God is solely something that is available to those who respond by faith to the promise that God uh, had made really combating these false teachings that were rampant through the Galatian church, purporting that Jesus is good to begin with, but uh, in order to really show off that you are acceptable to God, to, uh, to show enough no, uh, that you are right with God, or as the old church used to say, to show enough, uh, know that you're saved, that you're saved, that you're saved. You have to follow the Old Testament law, and you have to be circumcised. You have to become Jewish. Uh, but if that's not the case, then the question on the table is, what is it good for? Uh, the law of God, if, if, if that's not the purpose of the law of God, then what is it good for? I want to preach from that subject and answer that question this morning. What is it good for? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for time to gather together to sing to you, uh, even for the opportunity, God, uh, to give back in response to your generosity towards us. And now I pray as we get ready to open up your word that you would open up our eyes to see magnificent things that are available to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Just, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at Mama Flagel, and I'm thinking to myself, 18 years ago, she handed me my first Bible, uh, NIV Bible, after I had made a decision to follow Christ. That's pretty cool. Thanks, Mama Flagel. All right. Verse 15. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. Essentially, uh, the Apostle Paul who writes this letter is saying, if a promise was made in your own life and something comes along after that promise, uh, after it had been made, it never changes or voids out the original agreement. The agreement is the agreement, and he clarifies this in verse 17. Uh, what I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. So the promise was made to Abraham, this guy Abraham, who the false teachers in uh, the Galatian church would uh, have been saying, hey, we're the children of Father Abraham. We find our lineage all the way back to the patriarch of the Jewish faith. Um, and in, in essence, Paul is saying the law doesn't come until Exodus chapter 20. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Genesis is the very first book of the Bible, there's hundreds and hundreds of years that happen between chapter 12 and chapter 20 of 
Exodus. As a matter of fact, uh, if you uh, watch the movie uh, Pharaoh or one of the Disney movies, you'll see that the Jewish people were in slavery for over 400 years that happened after the promise was made to Abraham. And so they're introduced to the law of God in Exodus chapter 20 and all the accoutrements that come thereafter. So imagine if you receive a promise, if you can think in terms of, uh, of the years, in 1593, and then you get something new in 2023, does it amend what happened in 1593? God is not a man that he should lie. It is going to happen the way that God said it was going to happen 430 years before the law comes. Uh, verse 18, for if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. And this is what it says in chapter 3 in verse 8. Uh, and, and I'm just trying to give us context for where we're going. Uh, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles or declare right those who were not Jewish by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. This is the promise from Genesis chapter 12. That is why Jesus says to uh, the religious leaders of his day in John chapter 8 and verse 56, and the words will come up on the screen, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. So here's, here's the picture, and this is the, the uh, kind of uh, poetic, uh, just, he, he, he kind of he just comes at the Galatian leaders because he says, y'all want to talk about being sons of Abraham, and then he gets to verse 27, he says, by faith we've become the sons of God. And I'm not going to steal the thunder uh, from whoever comes uh, next week, uh, but that's the, the move that the Apostle Paul is saying is that this promise was made to Abraham, and Abraham, looking forward to the promise that God had made, declared him right based on him trusting in the promise of the child that was going to bless the entire world, who is the Christ Jesus. Uh, that, that is what the apostle Paul is saying. But even in Jesus' day, people got this twisted, right? The Pharisees were trying to do everything right uh, to the letter, uh, to dot every I, cross every T. They even added laws to keep them from, uh, from disobeying the actual law. Uh, and, and then in this particular case and scenario, now these Judaizers, these religious folks have come in and said, Jesus is cool to begin with, but y'all got to go back to this law. If the promise was made before the law was ever given, and God always intended to declare people right on the basis of faith in the promise that he would provide, then what is it good for? What's the point? What is it, what is it good for? Bless you. Look with me at verse 19. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Uh, he goes on to say, verse 22, but Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin. 
So here, here's the picture, because it's, it's a little convoluted, the, the way that that reads in, in English. It's the idea that God had to communicate that I have a standard. This is right and good. And you're not doing it. He, he goes on to say that, that the law imprisoned us. So it doesn't mean that the law is, is bad or the law of God is bad. It, it just means, it means that the law hemmed us in on every side. Um, it, is, uh, it is to say that when you think you can do it this way, when you turn to your right, you realize you can. When you think that, all right, I've got a direction to head uh, and, 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 and I'll be able to do it if, if I go that way, and then, and then you realize that you're hemmed in that way. It has imprisoned you. It has locked you up. It is uh, to say that, that your sin did not just need a nudge from Jesus. Your sin needed a substitute from Jesus. Uh, it is to say that the natural inclination of your heart is to build your life on things other than God. You are created in the image of God, and you literally will try to find purpose, lasting satisfaction, comfort, joy, and peace in your job. And you'll go to church while you're doing it. It is to say, uh, it is to say that that you were created in the image of God and you will literally uh, trust in uh, the thing to bring you lasting satisfaction, comfort, joy, and peace in a romantic relationship. And you'll go to church and serve while doing it. That's just the first commandment. Right? It, and, and so, and, and then Jesus takes it even further and talks about people's motivations. Right? And so even if you were to take uh, and, and whittle down and you see, see what exactly is the law, how do we put our arms around, uh, around the law, right? Jesus summarizes the entirety of God's law by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you were to go back to Exodus chapter 20 and look through the Ten Commandments, right, uh, we already talked about the first commandment, have no other gods uh, besides me, right? And then uh, if you go one through four, it's all in relationship to God. And you go five through ten, it's all in relationship to other people. And when you look at it, it's like, yeah, I'm made in God's image. If, uh, if God saved me, then th these are the expectations that somebody ought to have uh, of me. And, and the interesting thing about uh, the, the law in terms of the Ten Commandments is that before anything had been done, uh, before the Israelites had done anything for God, God set them free and then said, this is how you live in response to what I've done for you. Um, and in other, and, and what, what I really think the Ten Commandments are is this is the character of God. If you are made in my image, you have to roll like I roll. And so you just look, you look at the Ten Commandments and say, yeah, I get that. You get to the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet. I was at a... 
maple and ash for my, for my uh, birthday last year. And we couldn't get a seat inside. And so we had to sit on the patio. I might have told this story before. Uh, but we're sitting on the patio, and I'm, I'm a car guy. I've always, always been a car guy, right? And every time somebody pulls up to the valet, and I, I don't pull up to the valet. I, this is my first time to pull up to the valet in a long time. It's a special occasion. It's my birthday, right? I pull up and, and hand the guy my, uh, my keys, and then we're sitting there eating uh, and uh, G-Wagon AMG, G-Wagon AMG, G-Wagon AMG, Rolls-Royce, 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 G-Wagon AMG, G-Wagon AMG, Rolls-Royce. They, they even the same color, <laughs> right? And the whole time I'm thinking what it must be like this is like Tuesday, this is like them going to Applebee's, right? <laughs> just like, we just gonna grab, you know what, let's, let's pop in. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What is it like? What, what must that be like? And then I realize every single day of my life, I look at the things people have or the things people are able to do, or the, uh, the intellect that they have, or, man, if, if I really had, like, some direction in school when I was in high school, like, and, 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 and then I realized, like, what people get paid, and I decided to go into ministry, dang. <laughs> right? Every single day, I have that push on me. I wonder what that would be like. I wish, I wish I could be in that place. Um, and the, the interesting thing is that, man, I have a really good life. I have a really incredible, incredible life. Uh, and yet there's still something in me, no matter how good it is, that says, but what if I had that? Right? And so we look at the law of God and we say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The Lord is my shepherd, I, I shall not want. No, I want for things all the time. <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. Me and Pastor Derek got salty last week. It's not possible. He shows me what is right and true and good and lets me know that I don't have the capacity to do it. What is it good for? It shows me I have great, incredible need. The story of the prodigal son in... Uh, Luke 15 is one that has continued to capture my attention. And for whatever reason, when I, I grew up nominally Catholic, so the stuff that existed in the Gospels, I kind of like want to learn what else is in the Bible besides the stuff the, that's in the Gospels. 
Um, and so I kind of overlooked the, the prodigal son. But if you were to look at the story of the prodigal son, uh, what you realize is the story of the prodigal son isn't about the prodigal son. Uh, it's about the older brother. And uh, because the context of the conversation is he's having it with religious leaders. And there's no punchline. The punchline is, yo, I just told a story about y'all. Um, and so essentially there's this group of, uh, there's this one child that says, I want your inheritance. I want my inheritance early. Um, and I don't, I, I don't want to uh, essentially be with you and, and be your child. I want it to be as though you were dead. That, that's, in essence, what the prodigal was saying to his father, because his father couldn't just come up with that money out the bank. It's an agricultural society. He had to go sell land to get him that money to then give it to him for him to go live any type of way that he wanted. So the Bible says that he comes to himself, comes back to the father, acknowledges sort of like, man, I, I just want to be a servant in my father's house. is better than me being out here doing whatever I want to do. Um, and, and then they throw a huge party. The father throws a huge party for the son who had returned. And the older brother, the Bible says, he would not go in. And he says to his father, and interestingly enough, if you were to look, look at the passage, in such an honor-shame culture, to not address his father as father is like basically saying, I wish you were dead. He says, look, I've been with you and done all the right stuff all of the time, and you never threw a party for me. And he never goes in. And Jesus drops the mic on the Pharisees. The point is this. Our, our hearts are so far from being able to keep the law of God that even in our desire to do the right things, it's motivated to get stuff from God, but to not get God. That's what the older brother was saying. God, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. The younger brother said, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. Essentially saying both children, the one who did all the right stuff and the one who didn't, are in the same place. You're in a bad spot. The, the rich young ruler comes along and says, Jesus, how, how can I be saved, right? What, what do I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? And, uh, and Jesus says to him, uh, go sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and come and follow me. After he tells him, keep all the commandments. I've done that since I was a child. Keep, keep all the commandments. Sell all your possessions and come and follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. And, and the Bible says he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. His heart was so twisted that he thought he was doing all the right stuff all the while having not even kept the first commandment. Your possessions are your God. And Jesus says to his disciples, after they say, if he can't, he's the guy who does all the stuff the right way. If he can't be saved, then who can? And Jesus says, with man, it is, it is impossible. You can't do all the right stuff good enough. 
But with God, all things are possible. There's grace for that. There's grace for that. And so here's the picture. I think that at least in some shape, way, or form, whether it be our motivations or the actual ability to do what we know is good and is right and our inability to actually do those things, if the law shows us God's standard and then we, it makes us realize that we can't keep it, why do we often end up like the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3? Last week, Ramon talked about Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. The Apostle Paul begins and says, You foolish Galatians, having be begun by the Spirit, are you now attempting to be perfected by the flesh? And the point being that these false teachers had come into uh, the churches in Galatia and we're, we're telling them, you've you got to become Jewish. You've got to get circumcised. You've got to do all this other stuff like Jesus is cool to begin with, all of that. We've, we've established that, right? You're, you're even sitting here today, and you're like, why are y'all still telling me about this same thing? Justification being declared right by grace through faith, right? Um, and, and, and the thing is, is that we all have the propensity to start with grace and to move on to other things in the name of our own growth. And to, to start with grace, and it, it's like, and Ramon said this last week, it's like we believe that Jesus paid the entry fee, but we pay our monthly dues on our kingdom account through works. That was tweetable, that was, that was tweetable. <laughs> We believe that Jesus paid the entry fee, but we pay our monthly membership dues on our kingdom account by works. It's because what happened to the Galatians is something that so easily happens to you and me. Because we look at the law as a kind of syllabus. Uh, we look at uh, God's word as a kind of syllabus. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, you have your own law, your own uh, method of how you do things, your own uh, kind of structure that you've set up for yourself to justify your own existence or to be able to say that you're a good person. You've just created it for yourself. Uh, but I, I think that we look at these things as a kind of syllabus. And there are, are a number of different students in the room. Uh, there are those of you who, uh, y'all remember syllabus, right, from school? Yeah. Uh, there are those of you, there are those of you uh, who badgered the teacher before the semester started. When are you going to get that syllabus out? <laughs> When's it dropping? You get it together yet? Got any books you, on, the, on, the, on the list that I need to get? Right? And then the, finally the syllabus drops, right? You get it a week before the class begins. Then uh, you, you go to the library and, uh, and then you look at the calendar for the semester and you map out uh, every single thing on the semester and, and how uh, you need to get that assignment done here. And, and oh, you're really good at writing these, so you're just going to crush it on those and how you need to prepare for the, the quiz test uh, and, and whether or not those are going to be Q&As. And so you have follow-ups to, to the pre-class, like is that quiz going to be a Q&A or is that quiz going to be multiple? choice, right? Um, 
and, and to, to, to make sure that you're prepared to be able to take everything that you need to take. Um, and then you look at the required reading, and then you look at the suggested reading, right? And then you go to the library, and before anybody gets there, because they only have a couple of copies of each, you say, I got to get this suggested reading too, because you never know. I might uh, get an A minus on something, and I might need some extra credit. So I got to get the suggested reading done. Um, and, and then you, you come back, uh, and, and it's just like you just feel completely prepared to be able to ace the class, right? Some of us, that's how we approach the law. Uh, and, and, uh, and others of us, you're like me. I'm, I'm, I'm the student uh, that got the syllabus right, and I look through, I look through the syllabus and suggested reading. Not going to pay attention to that. Um, Okay, I'm definitely not going to do very well on that part, so I got to make sure I kill this part over here. Um, okay, they don't, all right, they don't really believe all that. They're not really going to test us on all of that. No, that's, that's, they don't really mean that. They don't really mean that, right? Right, you ever like try to finesse the teacher back to like, now you, that seems a little extreme, teach right? The book review, like we don't really need a bibliography for the book review, right? Right? And, and then you, you, you come back and, and you say, well, I, you know what? That's 10 points. I'm not even going to do that. That's 10% of the grade. I'm not even going to do that. So I'm going to ensure that I'm like 84 range. That's a B. That's acceptable. That gets me on to the next thing, right? And then there are others of us who approach it like, here's, here's the syllabus. I ain't going to read that. I ain't going to need that. I'm going to figure it out on my own. Right? And in the back of the minds of the one, the, the second and the third, is that somehow they're going to grade this on a curve. <laughs> somehow, somehow I'm going to get a little push somewhere at the end. And I just got to, you know, make a couple of uh, uh, office hour visits. You know what I'm saying? Get a couple of office hour visits in. That's going to push me from the 78 to the 81. I'm there. And I think that, that as silly as that may seem, right, there are those of us who approach God's law and his word as though if I just get the syllabus early and you tell me all the things that I've got to do and you give me the suggested reading and the bonus points that, that I need and, um, and, and where I can make up on those things and if I get to the library uh, early enough and get all the books that, that I need and, uh, and, and then at the, at the end of the day, I'm good. Whew. I'm good. I'm showing up better than number two. I know that's right. Right? Dean's list. Dean's list. Uh, and then number, number two comes along and says, man, they don't mean all that. They, I know they put it on paper, but this is, like, this is like if you were to be perfect, and nobody's perfect, so then you can't actually expect people to actually do all of the things on this syllabus list. So God doesn't really mean that. And the third person, I, I guess I'm just going to figure this thing out on my own. 
And at the end of the day, hey, maybe they'll boost a little curve in there and, and we'll make it over the top into the next whatever. And what the Apostle Paul is saying to you and me is that the law of God is not a syllabus. It's an eviction notice. The, the, law, the law of God is not a syllabus. The, the, law, the law of God is a summons to court. It's a subpoena. The, the, the law of God is not, is not a syllabus. Uh, it, it is a foreclosure notice. The law of God is it's not a syllabus. It's we put the boot on your car, and next time you're going to come get this car, it's going to be in lower, lower whacker. You're going to have to come across Joker and Batman to go get that car. He's saying the law of God, as silly as that may seem, that's the way all of us really try to approach stuff. I'm just a different student with a different approach to the syllabus. And Paul is saying, that ain't even the assignment. You missed the assignment. The assignment was for you to see it and say, I can't do it. Not for you to actually try and you trying is offensive to the fact that Jesus died in your place. You trying is offensive to the need and the supremacy and sufficiency of the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because you're saying it does not take all of that. I just need a nudge. I just need, I just need a little bit extra. He goes on to say in verse 23, it, the law doesn't just imprison us, it is, it is a schoolmaster. Uh, it is, in, in your translation may say, it is a guardian. It's like you're in prison and then you have a schoolmaster who's, who's teaching you in the prison, who's over you and superintends your going and comings, uh, to, to teach you that you can't keep it and to point you to Jesus, that we might be justified by faith. So Paul has been beating this drum over and over and over and over and over and over again. And some of you might be saying to yourselves, all right, these sermons starting to sound the same. Paul's starting to sound the same. Why? Do they keep saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again? Because the natural inclination of your heart, because the idea of grace through faith is the most foreign concept to your lived experience that you've ever known, it does not make sense. Over, why does he keep saying this? Why does he keep saying this? Because you will accept Jesus to begin with, be clothed with Christ, and then you naturally move on to other things. 
And even in your journey of sanctification, of becoming more and more like Jesus, of your own spiritual growth, you can go on years and years and years having been a person who is trying to grow on the basis of your own performance. All the while, it's offensive to God. That's why he keeps punching us in the face with this, because we don't get it. It, it's not our inclination. It's not our natural inclination. It's not our natural inclination to get it. So what is this? What does this mean for you and me? What What do I do with that? Right? What does it look like to grow as a person who has been saved by grace through faith? Just the gift of Jesus Christ. Why does he keep saying? Why does he keep beating this drum? I think it's because tomorrow, tomorrow you're going to get the notice. You were waiting for two weeks to hear it, right? Whether or not you got the promotion or not. And you're going to get a text message congratulating somebody else. And part of your soul is going to say, I didn't do enough. Or part of your soul is going to say, how dare they? And if the deepest longing of your soul has been met in Jesus, acceptance, approval, belonging, righteousness from the God of the universe, in that moment, I can say to myself, I'm accepted by grace. And I don't have to turn on my performance meter to go figure out how to get better at this so that I can get that, or I got to move on to a new job so that they can recognize me for who, for who I am. And maybe that's what you need to do, but at least your soul will be settled. Why does he keep beating this drum? Because tomorrow... Uh, you're going to go to the doctor, and because we live in a fallen world, it might not be good news. Yeah. 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 And the natural inclination of your heart is going to be, God, how could you let this happen? Look at all the things that I've done for you. And if you smacked yourself with the gospel of justification by faith alone over and over and over again, you'll be able to catch yourself and realize you're just the older brother sitting in that hospital room saying, God, I didn't want you for you. I wanted you for your stuff. Why, why does he keep saying this over and over? It's because tomorrow you're going to shoot your shot. And you're going to get rejected. Some of y'all shooting from three-fourths quarter of the, of, the, <laughs> of the court. I always said swing for the fence. I swung for the fence, and eventually, I'm telling you, I, shot, I missed a lot of them. <laughs> you're going to get rejected. And it's going to... It's going to so jostle you 
that it's going to make you want to turn to different things to cope. And if you're able to, in that moment, recognize that the God of the universe accepts me on the basis of grace through faith, I'm okay. What, why does he keep beating us over and over and over and over and over again? Because tomorrow will be another whole year being single. And the whisper in your ear is that somehow marriage completes you. Somehow a romantic relationship completes you. And the reality is you are complete already. It's because tomorrow the whisper of shame is going to say, I can't believe you did it again. And the true whisper of the Holy Spirit, as the comforter comes to point people to Jesus, is to remind yourself that that's not the story of who you are, but on the basis of grace through faith, I am God's beloved child upon whom his favor rests. It's because tomorrow he beats us over and over over and over and over again in Christ mercies will be new every morning and so in Ephesians chapter 6 the apostle Paul says put on the whole armor of God breastplate of righteousness the helmet of salvation uh, all of these different terms that are in Ephesians chapter 6 and when you think about it, when you dial it all the way through, like really the Apostle Paul is giving nuance to the same thing. Over and over and over again, he's saying, put on the gospel. Put on the gospel. Put on the gospel. Put on the gospel. Because every moment of every day, there's going to be a situation and a circumstance where you need it. And it will be your defense. So what, how, how do I know? How do I, 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 I remember, I, ne- I never forget this. I remember um, a friend of mine said to me, he tells this story and he says, uh, he says he remembers going to a retreat uh, with his church and he felt like the Holy Spirit was telling him that he should get up and confess um, the worst thing that he had ever done in his life. Um, and he says, I don't want to do that. Uh, I don't, I, I can't do that. And then eventually, he says, I heard the Holy Spirit say, you can either trust in your reputation or you can trust in my righteousness. Yeah. He gets up and he shares and then the whole congregation speaks the gospel over him. Yeah. 
If you ever wonder whether or not you regularly trust in Christ's righteousness over your own reputation, over your own ability to perform, over your own ability to do the syllabus right, the thing that shocks you out of that space is to regularly have a space to be able to confess your sins. Otherwise, you may just be like Galatians chapter 3 and verse 3. Fifteen years in the game, and you have no place to say, I have faltered because you're trying to keep a syllabus and not clinging to grace. Tomorrow, his mercies will be new. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and kindness towards us. Thank you for your word. Um, Heavenly Father, and how it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, pointing us to our incredibly great need. And so I pray for us in this moment as we move into Monday through Saturday that we would preach that message to ourselves over and over and over and over again putting on your armor for your glory and our good it's in Jesus name that I pray amen Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.